Hi there, and welcome to this special episode of ADHDL.UK's podcast. As usual, sadly, I'm joined by my co-host and co-founder of ADHDL.UK, Alex Connor. Ahoy, ahoy. It gets worse every week, doesn't it, Al, to be fair? Every week. I can see you're, you're, you've probably got a list of these that you're going to use um, and you, which you're going to work through until I eventually leave the organization and set my own up. Anyway, today is the, is the first part of a special episode of our podcast, and it's special because we've got a guest with us. Today's guest has spent the last decade as a Grammy Award-winning outfit in the room's touring keyboardist, traveling the world and leaving a trace behind her, classically trained in piano and flute, but self-taught on bass and programming. She also composes and arranges music for documentary soundtracks, fashion shows, film trailers, and commercials. Her work's been produced by Nick Franklin and John King, and this I'm so jealous of. In 2012, she was invited to play um, at the home of one of a few idols, Ennio Morricone. I am massively jealous of that fact. <laughs> In 2017, she composed the original score and was the associate pro producer on the uh, feature documentary Dispossession, The Great Social Housing Swindle, which is narrated by the wonderful Maxine Peake. And she became known to Alex and me as the host of Beans on Boogaloo, radio show on Boogaloo Radio, which is live every Monday on Boogaloo Radio, where she recently invited us on as part of ADHD Awareness Month. And is also one of the few people who, like me, has a black belt in swearing. So I'd like to welcome <laughs> to the ADHD Adult Podcast, Mickey Beans O'Brien. Hi, Mickey. Hello. Thank you for having me. That's absolutely, absolutely our pleasure. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I'm actually quite nervous. It's quite funny because uh, normally when I do the, my Boogaloo radio show, uh, it's always about my guest. So it's kind of like... Uh, it's hard to explain it's like it's weird when it's on you it's different yeah. so when, when I heard you uh telling me about my uh sort of accolades <laughs> I suppose today I was like is that me but uh I, yeah. I hate it I hate hearing my bio in anything that I do because I've got so many ridiculous job titles that it gets embarrassing whereas Alex <laughs> just says Alex doesn't it Al? <laughs> I got a red swimming certificate in 1987 <laughs> don't even talk to you about that because in the corner there I have got um, a little swimming costume with all of my badges. <laughs> oh, wow. Amazing. I'm not the best swimmer, but then again, I'm not, not very sporting. Anyway, as you can imagine, with three, three people who have ADHD, we are going to go off track during part one of this podcast and probably part two. Mm. And it's, it's, it's Alex's role um, as the most adult of us, maybe, I don't know, to try and keep us on track. So I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you, Al. And so you should, James. The power, the power has gone to my head already. I feel I should add. <laughs> it's the only thing I, I do trust you with, obviously. So now we're all uh, aware of of who's here and why. Alex, do you want to start off our conversation? <sighs> yeah, that is right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our ADHD Adult UK podcast, which you can get at all the normal Spotify type places, but that's not the only one. We can say it's there, can't we? Because we're not on the BBC. It's the, literally the only place to get a podcast from. <laughs> um, uh, if you need to talk about anything about having ADHD or you think you might or coping with any of the symptoms or any advice for any other adult with ADHD, come and talk to us on the social things at ADHD Adult UK on Instagram or Twitter, anywhere else on our website. And we also have articles on uh, magazine, which is entirely online and the only one in the world, probably, focusing on adult ADHD, which is called focusmag.uk. Go and have a look at that. Right then, so 
I'm going to kick off. Mickey, welcome to our podcast. James didn't let me say welcome before. I don't know if you noticed. He <laughs> <laughs> thinks of me like... He thinks of me like Carl Pilkington, and it's not fair because I'm the I'm the good-looking one, and he's got hair like Jedward. <laughs> we've said this before, you, and I am happy to admit that you are clearly the brains behind ADHD <laughs> Adult UK. You are definitely not the looks or the talent. I like you. I'm not the talent, no. <laughs> I, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here trying to think think of funny quips, but uh, just uh, <laughs> if you haven't got a quip, then we want to know all that stuff. As I was reading your bio, I was thinking about how, how, how I've met you previously more than once, and, and it's never about these things you've done. I've never even heard of all those things except LaRue, because I looked it up on Wikipedia. And, and you don't talk about your tremendous done list. You talk about the, you know, the issues you're having and where you're ashamed of yourself. So I want to talk about the good bits first. How did you end up doing all this music stuff? What's the backstory to this <laughs> amazing, amazing bio? Well, first of all, apologies for my dot cotton cough, but I have been uh, battling a cold for the last month. But um, so what happened was, it's a really interesting thing. Um, very beginning, I grew up in a household of the youngest of six, but like of, uh, a lot younger than any of my siblings. My parents were in their like late 40s when they had me. Um, and so my older brothers and sisters had amazing music taste, but... I was sort of a bit of an only child, like, but even though I had siblings and my mom's not around anymore because she passed away when I was 19, because I would really love to be able to, to ask her why she did this and why she did certain things, which led to who I am today. And one of them is, I remember being about eight years old and she said to me, right, I'm going to take you somewhere for half an hour. And if you don't like it, you don't ever have to go again. She wasn't a pirate, by the way. But, um, <laughs> and, and so I was like... It wasn't Irish either, really offensive. <laughs> yeah. I know, do you know what I mean? Somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere. But, um, and so I was like, ooh, you know, I, I didn't even, I, I was just didn't even, I loved it. I love surprises like that and things like, it's like a game. And so there was this house um, in, on a road near me or Farvin Lane in, in, in Wandsworth. And it was 46A or Farvin Lane. And I was like, what is in here? Because I used to do Irish dancing and that was like in an old hall in Ballum and this and that. But this was like a, a like an old lady's house sort of thing. And the doorbell rang and then the door opened and it was this lady, I swear to God, she looked like Dame Vera Lynn, but like in the 1940s. And her hair was perfectly set. And she was real cockney. And she was like, hello, darling. Like She's like, come on in. I'm Miss Joan Worth. And I was like... Can, can you do an accent uh, like her voice for us? <laughs> by the way, <laughs> by, by the way, this is my uh, Jack and Nori audition. Everyone's listening out there. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I was still didn't know. My mum hadn't told me what I was doing. And I turned the corner and there was a piano. And I was like... Oh, okay. Like the only piano I'd ever seen was like at school or, or when I'm doing Irish dancing, people playing, I dance to it. And I sat down and she just was like, so I'm going to teach you how to play the piano. <laughs> and um, I did it for half an hour. I remember it cost like at the beginning £3.50 for half an hour. But I did it for half an hour. She showed me just simple exercises. She never played. And then at the end of it, she went, right, your time's up. You may disappear. 
And I just was like, oh my God, that was the best half an hour I've ever had in my life. And so um, I came home and we, we didn't have enough money for a piano at the time, but my elder brothers played the accordion. So my mum would sit on one end and do the bellows while I'd be practicing on the on the accordion. And then uh, time went on and I just got, re- I, I did really well with it and um, uh, continued that. And then um, at school, implemented that into my secondary school because our school was a, a quite a poor state school so wasn't much resources for learning instruments so I kind of had a bit of a head up on my pupils fellow pupils um and then when he taught us how to do a bit of music production for my GCSE that's when I suddenly felt so diff like I now I know it's like an dopamine rush because it, it was this is my fix this is my thing that I love and the idea of making sounds that are in my head come out of this old computer um and I always just sort of was hooked on that, really. Um, and can I ask? Can I ask a question, Mickey? When you were when you were learning all this for years, learning music, were you doing scales and stuff to practice on your own at home as well, or was it every every single week we had scales at the beginning and and finger exercises for the first like ten minutes? It was always half an hour classes, so it's quite interesting because now what I know about ADHD, that was perfect because it was enough time for me to get and I'm. I'm when I'm into something, I'll, um, you know, whatchamacallit, call it? Like I'll get really, uh, I'll get into it, but then I, it will go in, but I do need a break then. And yeah. so it was perfect. So I did scales every week and I ended up getting to grade eight and I got my theory grade five and then did flute. And yeah, so that was kind of how I got into music really, but not really how I got onto stage or in Nanny Morricone's house. <laughs> but um uh what was I gonna say? But um basically then from from there, long story short, school, college, my mum died when I was 19, so that took or she was ill for quite a while. Um and when I left school I just went to university because I could get a student loan. And then I went to Camden, started working in Camden Market in a vintage shop. And then word got around and a good mix off that this new girl on the block was the keyboard player. And uh, my first band, Boo, this big brummy, who's like 15 years older than me. All I hear is like, Oi, I heard you play the keyboards. First year, songs next week. Now, that's, now that is, that's, a, that's a good accent. You've got to give it that. <laughs> that is a brummy accent. I was going to pretend it was identical to her mum's accent, but it wasn't. Oh, it was quite a good one. Yeah. I was actually going to say. So that was really shame. <laughs> <laughs> I can also hear a cat, and I think it's just James doing cat noises no, occasionally. Can you hear him? Can you hear him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. It's because he needs a shit, and I've learned. Oh, he's got feet. He's having a shit on the toilet, and I totally Alex, trained Alex him. Alex makes Alex makes the same noise when he needs. Very similar. Oh, do you know why he's meowing? I toilet trained him during lockdown, and oh look, he's looking at me now, and he's doing a shit. But um, on, on- basically. On the toilet, on a, yeah. On a human, on a human yeah. toilet. Yeah, I wish I could sort of turn it around without. <laughs> I'll show you it. Yeah, and but the thing what? is, the reason why it's meowing is I taught him how to do it by giving him treats, like afterwards, going, "Good boy, go on, get it in there." Woo! So now he meows because he knows I want you to see, so I get treats. <laughs> and that's how Mickey joined Larue. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Obviously ADHD Adult UK podcast. <laughs> that is that is an amazing answer. Genuinely think 
she forgot the podcast. We're going to come on to the Larue thing. So, James, you, you, you need to ask a question. Uh, yeah, I know, and I do it. The first question is, is obviously, how long did it take to teach your cat to shit on a human toilet? <laughs> it's not the question. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so the, the, seri- the, the, slight, the slightly, the slightly, vaguely more serious question is, ADHD, kind of irrespective of, what's your day to day like? Because for many people with ADHD, they struggle with a with a nine to five, with going to an office, mm. doing the same thing day in day out. So, mm. so what's your day to day like as somebody working in the kind of the music industry? Well, the thing is, I don't know what life is like <laughs> being medicated because I got my medication literally on the cusp of lockdown. So my life pre that was all about winging it, really, when I think about it. Um, my friends always say I am like a cat because I land on my feet. And it's not really up to luck, whatever. But I think it's my t- tenacity of like, just not being aware of, not being aware of having ADHD, I think, actually made me more resilient because... I was looking at everyone else get cracking on with things and I'm thinking to myself like what the hell I'm not a stupid person I I found myself in, in situations where I was a lot more talented than a lot of the people in the room but for some reason it wasn't coming out or being manifesting itself in the way it was so now I know that my sort of self-medicating before was my way of actually sort of getting through a day. But being a musician and touring mm. is actually quite a great career for yeah. um, somebody with ADHD because the documentary that I composed in 2017, I was doing that throughout the night and just like just just you know basically smashed it really quickly but I love doing it if you know what I mean in that sense and then touring because I love touring um and I find studio work actually quite mundane and Mm. just monotonous and I like composing because that's why I don't like mixing because I can't just sit there and analyze stuff if it's the not the creative stuff um so so when when so when you've got something to do that that clearly doesn't give you reward and we've talked before on the podcast and on your radio Mm. show about this this internal reward that's often lacking in adhd Mm. but you've got to do it if you've got to mix something how does that feel we talk about the kind of feeling of knives in the brain or bees in the brain and and almost like a physical pain of having to focus what's it like for you um well i think i'm having cbt and to work myself out as well at the Mm. moment as long as well as my medication but i think a lot of it stems from the fact that my mum was really strict Irish lady who I feared more than anyone (laughs) like in the sense of um doing the discipline sort of side of things she was a lovely caring mum but that um embedded in my head of like you know it's kind of weighing up the the danger of not doing something and so for me if not doing something meant well in this world it's kind of about you know you you, it's word of mouth if you want to work with somebody or um you like their skills or you like their demeanor in a studio it's it's like you know if you have two people and one's a knob and one's not you know you're going to work with the one who's not a knob not in my case (laughs) actually what i just said is complete bullshit because i do work with knobs because they're the ones because they're both always normally knobs together but um what I was going to say was so so it all depends on the fear factor I think mm. and um so I choose things really I suppose that have to mean a lot to me um 
and and the repercussions are really bad which is why i could have never i can't call myself a session musician because mm. i can't just play for anybody and i used yeah. to do my head in when i'd meet other session musicians who were like playing with this person playing with that person and i'd be like the thought of having to go on tour with them would do my nut in um either the music's not as good or they're real dullards or something so i suppose um what it is is getting through the day is I have to be really um, passionate about it. But um, now it's a bit different because of everything changing and touring yeah. is not as easy as it usually is. But but I'm giving myself a bit of a break, if I'm honest, because this is the first time in a long, long time that I've not had to be self-medicating or, yeah. or I'm normal as such. And I want to see what I can do with all the work. I've volumes of work that I've done and I've never gone further with um and so that's um but then the hard bit is trying to structure my day to actually do that <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you sorry james no no, no carry, carry on alex i'm sure it'd be dull but carry on <laughs> Mickey, it sounds like it's correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you're saying you have to you have to find your own emotional short term reward to do it, and often that's like negative fear or repercussions yeah as well as the positivity that's a pretty tough way of living well, I suppose actually, you know, when you put it like that, I it, it is. Um, and the weird thing is, I've I was diagnosed in January 2020. We had the lockdown, and I bloody loved the lockdown. I'm sorry for everybody out there that had a really shit one, and I'm not talking about people losing loved ones because I did too. But from a personal point of view, I needed the time to stop. I needed to take stock because I was realizing I was running a hamster wheel being a Russian hamster in a massive big wheel and uh, I, and I couldn't catch my breath and it was just so bad for me and I, I realized that I was get more people were getting a lot out of me than I was getting from myself um, and and I've been reflecting on what you've just said actually Alex recently because I do see I think we talked about this before you know about catastrophizing and and I always say if somebody says something's really bad I expect it to be really bad and I think sometimes to myself, God, if people actually do think like think of the things that I've actually had to do or had to deal with on my own, it would have broken a lot of people. <laughs> but I never was aware of it until now, looking back. Um, and it's about survival, really, if I'm honest with you. I um, think that's really common. Yeah. So and, we, yeah. One, of, one of the things that interests me, so we, we are um, very loosely speaking academics, Alex and myself. <laughs> we, work, we, work, we work very loosely speaking yeah. again at universities and many academics he says hoping that none of them are listening are, are either um on a spectrum somewhere or mm. psychopathic or have adhd and i just wondered i wondered if within the music industry now that once you've got adhd you, you tend to be able to spot other people who have the same traits that we have and i wonder if if you can kind of look back and and notice that there may have been people you've worked with in the past that, that may have had adhd Mm, definitely. I mean, one of them for sure was um I know Tom from Kasabian and I know that um you know <laughs> you can't yeah, name yeah. It. <laughs> no, because he's been diagnosed with it. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> no, no, he's been he's been diagnosed he's been doing that like whatever. This is not a, this isn't yeah. any commentary on his, <sighs> his circumstance as of as of now, but when uh, we, I've yeah. known him for years and years and years, and like you know, uh, okay. our paths would cross with Larue and Kasabian. We we're on tour, and like their band, like Serge, and like some of the crew would be like, "God, you two are just like peas in a pod." <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, but the thing was, I never really noticed that 
I was that different, but he was always watching ET constantly. On uh, he was obsessed with ET, and I think <laughs> I'm, what I'm trying to say was I wasn't surprised when I read he was diagnosed with ADHD, really like that. I think, I think we're all in agreement that a that is definitely slander, and b the next episode of our podcast is who do we definitely think has ADHD with no evidence. <laughs> He's been diagnosed with it. He's been diagnosed with it. Yeah. No, but we should definitely we should definitely do fictional characters or something. We shouldn't. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So that was a joke. Um, He's not allowed to actually do that, apart from the office guy. What were you going to say? Go on. I, I was trying. No, I was trying to think of a, a name that sounds similar. Um, <laughs> Tom from Bazabian. But no, I definitely. I won't. I won't go into particular names. Um, yeah. You know what, though, I haven't really. If I'm honest. Oh, with interesting. You. And. I'd have thought I would because we're yeah. in a creative world. Mm, but absolutely. that's why, but 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 the reason, unless, unless they all had different coping mechanisms yeah. that and they masking. didn't come to light. Masking. Because, masking, yeah, because yeah, I think a lot of people, like so many people have said to me, like, but you don't look like you've got ADHD. You can't have ADHD. You've got... Are they blind? The way, the way you look. Well, the thing is, and they then. think... No, but what it is though, <laughs> what it is though, is like they think, oh, you're in a band, you're a go like people don't realize that being in a band yeah. is not as glamorous as they bloody think it is. For sure, it's not. It's just, uh, and and they think like, oh, you you just you're just like living it up, and sh it's like oh this and that. And, but from my point of view, is I don't think I'm like that. But when I meet people who do pay up to that, yeah, I can tell that they're just like sort of groupies or like operators or something like that rather than actually they don't, internal struggles or you know unless you're like self-medicating quite badly and masking it you would never actually know and I and I was actually quite surprised with yeah I, I would imagine yeah. I would imagine he says I mean my, my only real dalliance with the music industry is is playing the violin when I was eight um badly so but i would imagine that lots of people in that industry probably are self-medicating to mm. an excessive amount mm. and there and therefore yes. that that may mask those symptoms okay in the next section alex is going to drill down with some more specific questions about adhd okay okay welcome back everybody we're here with Mickey O'Brien, Mickey Beans from uh, Her Boogaloo Radio Show and loads of other music things. We are the at ADHD Adult UK podcast to get it from wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, Mickey. We we have a question for you straight away. We've talked about what life was like before and getting diagnosed and a few other things. But what's it like now? You know you have ADHD and now you, you've been medicated, even if you're still effectively titrating. What's it like? What's your life like now living with ADHD? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that happened was when I got diagnosed in January 2020, I sort of said to myself, I really need help, but I bet there's going to be a payoff, right? I'm going to bet there's going to be a payoff. And lo and behold, the payoff was music. I didn't want to go near my, uh, this was not out, my background of my, or my, all my stuff. I had absolutely zero desire to do anything with music but I never forget the first thing I did was I went straight into my bedroom and I got my chest of drawers and I sorted out <laughs> and then it went on to two chests of drawers three chests of drawers then it went on to lockdown 
decorating tool station i became best friends with tool station <laughs> had little sort of like lessons with the guys in tool station during lockdown and i ended up basically doing every single thing that i put to one side for so many years because i focused on music because the world outside just didn't make sense to me so now i go to bed at half 10 11 I brush my tea, I get into my pajamas, and I don't fall asleep with my handbag, shoes, my coat, uh, like face down, or like in the same spot that I've just been in, or, or I don't know, somewhere else or whatever. Um, and I get up like at 5.36 when the sun comes up, like I started to really notice the seasons, the weather outside, like, you know, you know, lockdown helped, but as well, but, um, and I and I have breakfast in the morning. Tell you, I mean, I've got much more of a routine because I don't have this thing of like a million things. One will catch my eye, and then I'll go off and do that, or or it's too over overwhelming, and then I'll just go play piano for twelve hours. Then I'm fine, you know. Um, and and I was distressed big time which is why my titration, I think, has become quite a longer process than I anticipated. But I was distressed because music is what I, I all I know and all I love since I was a kid. And, um, and I thought, what the hell? Why is this happening to me? But I've worked it out myself. I think it was because I associated that with quite a dark time because it was my escape from not very nice people, manage, trying to manage ADHD, self-medicating and I associated it with my escape from all that but now that my life is not like that I have to fall in love with it again in a different way so it's kind of like when I don't know you get Joan Collins sort of divorces the first husband and then goes back to him again or Elizabeth Taylor it's like Richard Burton's my piano and I'm Elizabeth Taylor I'll get married again in about <laughs> but um but so my, but but I wouldn't, I wouldn't not take medication for the world now. Um, not at this point anyway, because I'm still learning things. Um, and it's quite distressing. Sometimes I have days where it's quite bad, where I think, I, I think, oh, I feel so sorry for myself. Like how I managed to, like how did you manage to deal with all of that? Like death in the family and people being nasty to me and people being abusive. But I got through it and I just think, mm. well done. And, you know, um, and medications really helped me take stock and of myself and not be a pushover and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that I think that's a really powerful statement, because one of the things we talked about in our in our second episode of our podcast was about hesitancy for medication. We had mm. it, both of us. We, we we delayed taking it or getting a diagnosis for a while because we thought we'd turn into and obviously Alex did like a humorist <laughs> automaton that, that that could barely function as a as a human. But but the the effects are subtle enough that you don't feel like you lose your personality. But obviously they as a as a as a platform for you to be more functional. They're they're just so helpful. Well, we have talked, haven't we, James? Simon, we have talked about this payoff. I love the expression. There might be a payoff, James. Recently, both James and I, we we need to explore whether this is. Everyone, I lost my love for stand-up comedy, which was always the thing I would yeah, go yeah. to, and I haven't. I, really? And James, yeah, which is really sad because it was always a big part of me. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, um, when right. we it's, it's sport, I can't watch the football. I can't watch the football anymore. I just, if it's on, I just follow it on Twitter. I just, I don't know what it is. I've got a, mm. a lack of. An I don't know what it is. That, that is so interesting because with me, 
like literally like my last relationship didn't work out because of me playing music so much like i just need to do i get home he'd be like come to bed and i'd be like i don't want to i want to play i've got this idea and then he'd be really annoyed with me and then i'd, I'd come to bed and then he goes i know you don't want to be in the room and i'd be like yeah see you later and um but the thing was I couldn't believe that this, it was like somebody had put a different head on me. Like I had no love for it whatsoever. Not the same feeling that you get, like that mm, feeling. I don't know how to describe it. Um, yeah, and I, get it. And I, I was so distressed. I was looking online everywhere. Like, I think it was, um, our, it was our first conversation, wasn't it, Mickey? I think when you got in touch to say yes, that, yes. That it, it, it was the fact yes. that losing passion, losing passion for the thing that was, so important to you was was scary if that's the cost of treatment you don't want to be treated if you know what i mean that was our first just i just need to add in the spirit of evidence base guys that this might be pandemic related from some of the science i've been reading and it because my loss has more coincided with the pandemic than my diagnosis six years ago i just want to be yeah it's just hard for me because i say science it's hard for me because my 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 um diagnosis was on the cusp of the pandemic, literally like yeah that's uh, that's why I just want to I just want to put that out there. I've, I've actually got a really quick funny story about that. When I got diagnosed and in and I remember walking in the room on twenty seventh and he said to me, he goes, "What is the one thing that can really help you apart from treatment, apart from all this? What would life changes would would happen?" And I said, "Well, something that can't happen." But I said, "I just want the world." to stop like think of the stone roses song like stop the world I'm it's your off. fault yeah that's what i said i want people to leave me alone i want the shops to close i want the traffic to empty i want ev- i want all the animals to come out i kid you not and he's got it written down because it was my sort of notes and uh then two months later we're in lockdown so that or, Irish or, or, fa- or failing that i want roast bat and pangolin some of my favorite <laughs> <laughs> Okay. On on that note, everybody, Alex has singularly failed in his task to keep us to time. So we are, <laughs> yeah. we are going to we're going to draw part one of this special episode of the ADHD UK podcast to a close. I'd like to thank Mickey thank for you. entertaining us, and obviously I'm not going to thank Alex. Um, <laughs> no. And we will see you in part two. See you thank later. You.